Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Concurrent Session 7A. My name is Milton Lim, and I'll be chairing this morning's session titled A Claim Pairing Approach to Measuring Superimposed Inflation, a New South Wales CTP Example, presented by Aaron Cutter and Karen Cutter. Aaron Cutter is a director of Affinity with over 20 years' experience in general insurance. He's, he has particular expertise in pricing, capital management, excellent conversation, disability insurance, and lenders' mortgage insurance. Aaron also leads Affinity's big data practice. Karen Cutter is a principal of Affinity and heads up Affinity's CDP practice. She has over 20 years' experience in general insurance and excellent compensation. Karen's key areas of specialization are the bodily injury classes of CDP and workers' compensation. Aaron and Karen have been ably assisted in the preparation of this paper by the Affinity colleagues John Yik, Min Fan, and Charlie Chen. Would you please welcome Aaron and Karen? Uh, you had to go with the Aaron and Karen together, didn't you? <laughs> okay. Um, so we've both had uh, both had over ten years' experience being married to each other as well. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 13, thir- roughly thirteen years. Uh, it's that button. It's all right. Page down. Here we go. Um, okay, you might not know this, but if you Google superimposed inflation, you'll end up with the top ten hits being first three uh, Institute of Actuaries papers on superimposed inflation. Uh, in fact, they were two of them contributed by Finity, and number one hit from Karen Cutter in 2009. <clears throat> Going down the list, uh, you find uh, hits from ICWA, Swiss Re, Catlin, Guy Carpenter, Aston, the MAA, and rounding out, the top ten is actually an e-book by Greg Taylor. <laughs> uh, so it's quite clear that this is an issue that is uh, not that well sort of spread across the industry. It's quite tightly confined to what I'll call a subset of a subset of Australian general insurance actuaries, I think, are interested in this topic. So let's hope with this uh, talk we can maybe spread the word a bit wider. Maybe we can get this novel approach out there to other actuaries in other sectors, um, other industries themselves, and and the broader community perhaps will embrace what we're about to uh, tell you about. So what are we going to talk about today? Um, our roadmap's pretty straightforward. Um, I guess what we're looking to embark on is telling you how we have retuned the actuarial rear vision mirror so that we can better and truly unlock the truth about historical claims inflation. Um, and, and moreover, what can we actually do with that information and knowledge once we've, uh, once we've unlocked it? Um, specifically, we'll describe their new approach to superimposed inflation. Uh, we'll take you through how we did it. Uh, Karen's going to take over when the rubber really hits the road on the New South Wales CTP uh, case study uh, and, and tell you about what we found in that particular portfolio. Uh, then I'll jump back in and conclude by way of an application to a, a pricing basis of what we've found. Um, we have uh, a paper that... Um, 
I love saying this. I'll take it as read, but I know nobody's read it. <laughs> uh, but it does contain a bit of the extra maths uh, that we aren't presenting today, but sitting behind that paper even is some more additional information that might be useful. Uh, so if anybody has any questions, please feel free to contact uh, myself or Karen or John or Min or Charlie. Um, okay. How am I going for time, Milton? <clears throat> so... What is superimposed inflation? Uh, first things first. Um, I've got the Back to the Future uh, time machine up there. One reason is that it's 2015, which is where Marty McFly actually ended up in Back to the Future 2 from 1985. Um, so I'll use uh, him as an example, and I've seen uh, Back to the Future used in a few different presentations this year uh, for that very reason. So if we take a hypothetical example of Doc driving, Marty in the passenger seat, they're flying along the road, a little bit out of control, and they bang into a power pole. Um, Doc's okay. Marty, he's a little bit injured. He's got a bit of whiplash and he's got a broken arm. Um, back in 1985, um, that compensation that, that Marty uh, might have been entitled to Perhaps amounted to ten thousand dollars. There's a few medical expenses, a little bit of non-economic loss, um, a little bit of future economic loss. Probably not so much past economic loss. I think he was at school. Um, so then, ten thousand dollars is what the amount is for that particular claim back then. Now let's consider that there's an alternative to this, and instead of hitting that power pole, they are going just fast enough for the DeLorean to enter into its time travel mode, and it ends up in 2015. Unfortunately, the power pole is still in the same spot. So it goes smack in the power pole in 2015. If we were to look at just the economic increase in wages over that time period, that particular claim that Marty would be able to lodge might have amounted to something like $30,000. So a threefold increase in the uh, constant dollar economic loss component uh, a threefold increase in just the way in which wages and therefore the general economy uh, has increased in its value. Um, however, there may have been some changes between 1985 and 2015. Um, there's been a few legal precedents that have occurred perhaps. Uh, the plaintiff lawyers might be a little bit better prepared for claims such as a broken arm and whiplash. Um, there might even be a little bit more legal involvement than there was in 85. Medical advances, including high-tech imaging, might be more prevalent these days. Um, all sorts of social norms might have evolved. And so, therefore, when Marty lodges his claim, uh, lo and behold, it costs $60,000 to the insurer that's got Marty as their, uh, as their uh, sorry, as Doc as their, uh, in this third-party environment, Doc as their policyholder. So... Um, $30,000 versus $60,000. Interesting. So it's a like-with-like like claim, same person, same injuries, same car, same circumstances. The only thing that is different is the passage of time and the social norms and other things that have changed over that time. $10,000 to $30,000 over a 30-year period with my maths, and I probably did this wrong, but it's it's around 3 and 3 quarter percent per annum increase. Um, 10,000 to 60,000 over that same 30-year period is something more like 6.15% 6 per annum. So therefore, you might say that the superimposed inflation that has um, occurred over that 30-year period is 2.4% per annum. Uh, 
And that's what we're talking about here. It's looking to how do we describe a like-with-like claim that's occurred in one time period versus another time period and the increase in that settlement amount or the awards that are provided for that claimant um, simply because something's different other than the claim and the claimant itself. Time. Okay. Um, Why this new approach? Well... I'll race through these next couple of slides. Why this new approach? It's because um, we're not just dealing with looking at Marty McFly in 1985 versus 2015. We're looking at a whole bunch of claims that occurred in previous period and a whole bunch of different claims that occurred in later periods. Um, So I've represented that by the earlier periods on the left and the later periods on the right. Um, And so how do you tease out if the average settlement size of this group on the right is different to the group on the left over and above inflation? How do you tease out what's going on there? Um, so what we came up with is uh, a claim pairing approach. A claim pairing approach, um, we got the um, idea from the way in which house prices have appreciated and house price indexes are created. There's two things that happen there. One, they... Um, So if we think back a while ago, the median house price increases were calculated as the average house sale in the suburb in one period divided by the average house sale in a previous period, or the median more so, to be more accurate. Now, clearly that's not a good measure because in the later period there might have been different houses sold. For example, there might have been all of the mansions sold in the later period, all the five-ray shacks sold in the earlier period. So therefore, that's not a like-with-like comparison. To deal with that, the economists that look at house prices do two things. One is they look at the pairs of sales or repeat sales. They look at the house that's sold this year versus that same house sold 10 years ago. The second thing is they use a hedonic approach, which is really just slicing and dicing the attributes of a house to understand what makes a house price different to the neighbour's house. So does it have a pool? Does it have an extra bedroom, etc., etc.? We've combined those two approaches, and Karen will go through some more detail, uh, and applied that to a claims, uh, an insurance claims context. So taking that group of people from the left and the right and pairing them down and pairing them down, what we can see is that there was one on the left, broken arm, right arm, and one on the right, broken left arm, but effectively same claim, same injury. So the way in which we've been able to understand the specifics of individual claims and tease them apart and tease them apart until we can find like with like ones is the essence to our uh, paired claims index. I think that is me done for the moment. So what do we do for that New South Wales CTP example? How do we apply it in practice? Well, we started with all of the finalised claims that have been made under the MACA 99 legislation, um, but we excluded some claims for various reasons. So we didn't include ANFs or claims under $1,000 just because there's very high volumes of those matters and there's very low cost associated with those, so they don't actually contribute to superimposed inflation or have very little impact on superimposed inflation. We also excluded LTCS claims just because they're large and non-homogeneous and have the potential to introduce random and significant volatility to the measure. And we also excluded interstate claims because the benefits paid to interstate claims are different to the benefits paid to New South Wales accidents Um, So it's not appropriate to pair interstate with non-interstate claims. 
So as such, the superimposed inflation measure that we do end up coming up with is not applicable to either LTCS or interstate components of the costs. We've also excluded settlements in the June 15 quarter um, when we used the data at 30 June 2015, and that's really because of the impact on, of backdating on the data. So if we look at the June 15 settlements in another three months' time, the historical claims information actually changes. So just to avoid that impact, we've excluded the June 15 quarter. Um, so how did we then pair the claims? We made sure that the claims matched on certain compulsory criteria. And the most important compulsory criteria that a claim needed to match on was the most severely injured body region combined with the maximum injury severity. So, for example, a head injury of severity 5 could only be matched with another head injury of severity 5. Um, we thought that that was the most important determinant of um, describing like-with-like claims, hence that compulsory criteria. We then had some other compulsory criteria, so whether it was a workers' comp recovery claim or not, a comp to relatives claim or not, or a fatality claim, and those criteria were used because of the quite different benefits available to those sorts of claims. And we also only paired contributory negligence claims with other contrib neg claims, and that was because the settlement amounts that are attached to contrib neg claims don't actually represent the full value of the claim, so we, we did that. And then what we did was we applied this scoring mechanism that you can see in the table there, that claims didn't have to match on those criteria, but they elevated the lookalikeness, if you like, of the claims pair, of the claim pairings. So if the three most severe injury codes match, for example, we scored that, those two claims with 18 points. If they were also both legally represented, they got another two points. If they had the same employment status, they got another one point, for example. And so the maximum um, score that any two claims could pair, score against each other is 29 points based on that um, scoring that we've used. Um, so how do we then pair the claims? Um, if we look at the panel sort of furthest over to the left, what we did was we sorted all of the claims uh, based on the date of settlement, so that the most recent settlement was first. And what we then did was scored every other claim in the database against claim number one, being the, the claim first claim shown there. And you can see in this example we've scored claim X has got 28.5 points and claim Y also scores the same. And so they were the two claims that were the highest, with the highest scores being the potential pairs. And what we then did was we actually matched it with Claim X because that was the one that was closest in um, settlement date to Claim 1. We then repeated that same process for Claim 2, um, but in this instance, because we've already paired Claim 1 with Claim X, Claim X is not available to be paired with Claim 2. And so here we've ended up pairing Claim 2 with Claim X plus 3. And then we go through that same process again and again for each individual claim, um, when it becomes that claim's turn in the, the pairing process. So you can see in this example, we end up with claim X then pairing with claim Y. So we've got a string of claims X, Y and Z that are all paired together in the, in the algorithm. Um, and we optimise the, the pairing process by um, where we've made certain claims unavailable for matching. We've, we've done that. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Um, 
Yeah, so we've optimised it by running through each claim before we make any claims unavailable for matching. So the best pairs are matched with the best pairs. Uh, this then shows the results of the distribution of the scores. And you can see that there's some peaks there. Um, so the big peak that we've got over to the right is where the detailed injury codes match and so do most of the other criteria. And so what we've ended up with is around 50% of the claims sorry, 50% of the pairs match on those very detailed uh, criteria. There's another lump at around the sort of 12 to 13 points where the three most severely injured body regions match, as do most of the other criteria. And then we've got another lump where the um, injury criteria don't match, but most of the other criteria match. And so how did we then combine the pairs to come up with the overall measure of inflation? Um, and this is a very simplified example of the process that we, we ran through. Uh, so the starting point is to measure the inflation in the first quarter. And so what we've done here is used claims where they had the first settlement in the December 99 quarter and the second settlement of the pair in the March 2000 quarter. So that's the, the first six months of the, of the legislation period that we're looking at. So we've used here pairs one and two that both meet that criteria. And um, noting that we, we did this with all amounts in original values, we hadn't inflated anything with wage inflation up to current values so that our overall index that we come up with includes both normal economic inflation and superimposed inflation. And so what we do is we calculate the inflation for each pair using a simple ratio of the the second settlement in the pair divided by the first settlement in the pair. And then what we need to think about is the way, how do we actually combine the inflation for each of the pairs? And what we could have done was just done a straight average across all of the claims that met the criteria. Um, but we thought that we should do some kind of size weighting so that the very small claims didn't contribute equally to the superimposed inflation as the, the larger claims. Um, we didn't want to use the actual settlement sizes of the pairs either because if you end up with a pair that has a very low cost and another, the other claim in the pair has a very high cost, that pair will have very high superimposed inflation and it kind of would double count the impact of the superimposed inflation because you've then got one very high claim in that pair as well. So what we ended up doing was we ran through a segmentation exercise that grouped claims into one of 15 different segments and we assigned each claim to one of those segments and then used the average size of that segment to do the weighting. Uh, and so in this example, once you can see all the masses in the paper um, and in this example it turns out that the, super, the inflation index for that first quarter ends up being 1.07 or a 7% inflation for that quarter. So we then need to determine the inflation for the second quarter and what we do here is use all the claims that have the second settlement in the June 2000 quarter and you can see there we've got pairs 3, 4 and 5 all kind of fall into that category. We've got two claims that are in those, sorry, two pairs in that group that span the whole six-month period and so it's quite straightforward to just use the same averaging like what we did in the first round. Um, but for the... Pair five, you can see it's only the, the first settlement was in the 
March 2000 quarter, whereas the second settlement was in the June 2000 quarter. So what we actually did was add on the 7% inflation that we got from our stage one of the step um, to get an inflation measure for that pair across the entire six-month period and then again combined it using the, the weightings based on the segmentation exercise. So what that then gives us is those three pairs of claims give us the inflation index for the six-month period, and in this simplified example was 12%. Um, so what we then do is back out the 7% from the first quarter to get an overall inflation for that second quarter of 5%. And back to Aaron. Okay, so just um, kind of round out what it means somewhat in practice, so that although we're still kind of working our way through the practicalities of application. Um, so uh, I guess one application would be simply to create a, a paired claims inflation index. Uh, so the chart you see on the left-hand side compares two uh, measures of average claim size in each of the settlement years on the x-axis, going from 2002-03 to 2014-15. Um, the grey line is just taking the average of those settlements that uh, we've used in our paired claim index, index and, and dividing them amongst themselves to get that um, shape, which goes up in the first few years and then levels out. Um, and then the yellow is our actual cleared paired claims index, which you can't see because it's telling us to replace the lamp and clean the filter, but that's what the legend <laughs> says. <coughs> so... What that says is that based on our stripping out all the noise and those claims that are not like with like, we're seeing that the average size is increasing in the more recent periods more so than just a straight measure of the actual settlement amounts in each of those periods. Um, so, you know, it could be a number of things, but simplest explanation is that there are a bigger weighting to a mix of smaller claims being settled in the more recent periods than uh, it was in the past, going from period to period, and so therefore there's a discrepancy. <coughs> the discrepancy arises in a couple of periods more so than others. One is the 2000... I can't read those numbers now, but essentially where the grey line goes down, uh, but the yellow line continues to go up. Uh, I think it's 19. 8, 9, 9, 10, 9, 10 or something like that. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, um, what I've done on the right-hand side is said, so if we take that yellow index and we back out the economic inflation component, we end up with a measurement of average size on average sides from period to period uh, represented by the right-hand bar chart. And it's, you can see that there's very high inflation in the 2005-06 to 2007-08 settlement years uh, of around 15%, followed by a period between 8-9 or thereabouts and 13-14 of uh, relatively lower inflation, above economic inflation, but still positive. Um, if we were simply to grab the, the, sorry, the grey line uh, and do the same exercise, that most recent period would actually show an average of close to zero. Um, and I've even seen um, where, where uh, it's been reported that superimposed inflation in the New South Wales scheme in the more recent periods has been close to 0.1% uh, based on... A, 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 a segmentation, but not a, a not a detailed claim by claim look that we've done. 
Um, I mean, that's all very well and good, but it's still the yellow line still just says a like with like claim for that for the claims that settled in those periods shows the trajectory of that yellow line. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's applicable to any mix of claims that you have in a portfolio now. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's applicable to a prospective pricing basis. Uh, you really want to unravel where the drivers of that increase is coming from and wait your version of the truth, the historical truth, based on the weightings that are applicable to your circumstances, whether it be a valuation or a pricing basis or some other experience analysis. So we've done a very simple example of that um, where you can see that we've looked at the portfolio in question in three segments, severity zero and one claims, severity two claims, and severity three plus claims. Um, and we're able to, and you can slice and dice it any way you want to. I mean, you could describe a claim in any way you want to in any myriad of uh, combinations of variables and produce this, this same index or this same superimposed inflation. Um, so what we've seen in doing it with just SEV 1, 2, and 3 is you get relatively high inflation for SEV 0 and 1, constant, relatively constant, a bit more variable for uh, SEV 2, but a little bit lower, and pretty variable for SEV 3 plus. Um, this is not an actuarial exercise. I'm not going to ask you to pick an average out of those two and, and apply that going forward. Um, but for argument's sake, if you were a pricing actuary, maybe you would come up with the averages being for SEV 0 and 1 around 5.5% <coughs> applicable to a pricing basis going forward. Uh, SEV 2, 2% per annum, SEV 3, 1% per annum or something like that. Um, don't try and look at the chart previously. It might not actually be the averages of. It's just a, a for example. Um, so to understand in a pricing context what the superimposed inflation means, you firstly need to understand within segments of claims what their average size is and therefore their contribution to a premium rate and what their duration is. So how long does superimpose have to take effect on that particular cohort or segment and therefore influence what you're going to charge in aggregate for the premium? So SIV 0 and 1, uh, just in this very simple example, have a shorter duration to settlement, maybe three years. So there's three years worth of 5.5% superimposed inflation to apply to that particular cohort. Uh, similarly, SIV 2, duration of five years at 2%, and SEV 3, 1%, but for a longer time, 7%. So what does that all mean in practice? When you crunch through the numbers, it's not a difficult number to crunch through, you come back to an overall implied average superimposed inflation of 2.8%, which you could, in this example, apply to the overall, or you could just keep it segmented in your calculations of the premium rates. So... Um, whereas we saw uh, that the most recent period averaged about 4% superimposed inflation above wage inflation, if you just dollar-weighted those 55 2 and 1%, you end up with about 3.5%. Uh, but if you dollar-weight and duration weight, you end up with a, a lower superimposed inflation for a pricing basis, for example. And I'm not suggesting that this is pricing advice at all. It's merely a worked example that you would might find in an exam. So that's what it is. <laughs> um, that's kind of about it. I mean, that's the end of the story. There's a lot of things that went in behind this and a lot of work that was done over the last 12 months to, to come up with um, this approach. Um, but I guess what we're really about is socialising this with, with a bunch of esteemed actuaries 
and actuary types, um, where we want you to think about whether that's an applicable uh, approach to use for your experience analyses, valuations or pricing bases um, and how it might be applied in practice to your portfolio. We think it can be uh, generalised outside of CTP, of course, um, even to short-tailed uh, classes of business. Um, but um, we are where we are uh, and we welcome any feedback that you might have. So that's it from us. Any questions would be welcome. Yeah, we've got about 10 minutes. Yeah, thanks a lot for that insightful presentation. Um, if you have any questions, could you please uh, speak into the microphone uh, with your name and organisation? Um, can you just... Um let us know how many claims were used in the New South Wales CTP claim study and how many weren't used, because I think that would be useful. And also, where you have those peaks of scores, did you try doing the index only for potentially the ones that had a score above 20, for example, the, the better scored pairs? Did you sort of do the work at that level or did you or not? Maybe I should know. Uh, the number I, of so that's two questions. Only had one question. Um, <laughs> that, that, so we, we didn't go through an exercise of um, stripping out part of the portfolio that didn't match, except for the above twenties. Now, um, I mean, be a useful theoretical exercise to do, I suppose. But um, my suspicion is that it becomes less relevant um, to understanding total portfolio increases. Um, although, because the ones that match. Um, with a score of 20 or above, are, are pretty specific cases where you've got that there are the three injury codes, most severe injury codes and in body regions match, as well as a number of other criteria. Um, if you dismiss the rest of it, then you're kind of dismissing part of the portfolio that is a little bit less clear, I suppose, in that it's actual specific match, but I think that there's still some valuable signal in it. But if you want us to do it, we can, Estelle. I just want to. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, 100,000. So there's about seven or 8,000 per year, per settlement year, it looked like. Um, there's quite a number of claims that were removed, but they were predominantly, the, the large volume of claims removed were predominantly small size, and there were a small number of very large claims removed. Yeah, 99% were paired, that's right, of those that were left. Uh, I, I might add. Greg Taylor, UNSW. Thanks very much for the presentation. Um, in an attempt to avoid rhyming prose, I was going to address you as A and K, and then I realised that rhymes as well. Does. Um, well, uh, Aaron raised the question of which is the hottest market, Sydney property or CTP superimposed inflation, but didn't give us the answer to that. Um, just one other side comment. Um, it's um, and, and this is simply a historical note. It's an unfortunate fact that, um, that Wikipedia doesn't attribute um, the phrase superimposed inflation to its originator who in fact was Gunnar Benktander, who was uh, quite a famous actuary in the um, 
70s, even 60s, 60s, 70s, 80s. So he originated that phrase in a, in a very obscure publication back, I think, sometime in the 70s. Um, and um, I'll mention that to keep his name alive. Um, a, a more substantive comment, um, which, which is really just my attempt um, to place in perspective um, uh, this attempt at measuring superimposed inflation and, and place it alongside others. Um, it's a fact in all these multivariate investigations that um, usually, I might even say always, um, the, the number of data points, notwithstanding that they may be, not, they may number in the hundreds of thousands, are insufficient for direct comparisons between cells of data. There are just so many more cells of data than there are observations. And, and this means that um, any study must insert some structure of its own. There must be some assumed structure in order to make sense of the data. Um, so um, one can think of um, alternative um, attempts at measuring superimposed inflation um, where one uses a structured model. So think of a, a GLM or a GAM or something like that in which the um, the investigator is making certain assumptions and the assumptions in a GLM will usually be that effects are multiplicative, right? A very, quite a strong assumption, but nevertheless one that would command um, agreement in many cases. Um, but in this case, that's something bothering me here. Um, in this case, um, you, you attempt to avoid making those structural assumptions um, by comparing one claim with another, so picking particular pairs of claims and making a direct calculation. Now, of course, you have made your own assumptions and, and the assumptions are that the scores that you assign um, constitute a reasonable way of producing pairs that are comparable. So, so that's the alternative. Um, on the one hand, you, you introduce algebraic structure. In your case, you introduce a scoring system. Um, in, in either case, the, the analysis will be as valid as the assumptions that are going into it. So, um, as I said at the start, this is just my, my way of trying to set these systems alongside each other and, and state um, how they differ um, without making any judgments about whether one is better than the other. But I wonder whether you've thought um, about that question and, and whether you think that one approach is superior to the other. Um, and then just one final comment before I give up. Um, the... Um, the um, at, at the end of that, you produced estimates of superimposed inflation for different severities. Um, and in each case, reduced it to a single figure. Um, now, there are some, so there are some well-known cases that have been studied where 
um, superimposed inflation um, is, I think there's been general consensus in those cases that it, it varies according to the um, uh, the delay in settlement. So, in other words, shorter claims uh, are subject to much greater superimposed inf- uh, inflation than than claims settled at the extremes of delay. Um, and um, if you measure superimposed inflation um, from one quarter to another, you may well find that it's on average it's 2.8%. Um, or, or something. That was one of the figures you gave. Um, but it, it doesn't follow um, that if you take a, a single claim through its lifetime, that the the total effect of varying superimposed inflation will reproduce that number. Um, so that that seems to be another dimension that needs to be taken into account some somewhere. And. So that's my second question. Uh, have you thought about that and how you would take that into account? Um, well, there's two good questions there. So, um, I mean, the second one, yeah, we have thought about the duration effect of superimposed inflation on different cohorts and different sizes of claims, and we clearly haven't got to the end of it. But we know that it's a, a feature that's apparent, particularly in bodily injury claim settlements. Um, <laughs> The, the way, the simplistic way in which we presented an ability to do that was to assign different superimposed to different duration claims in the, in the worked example that I've put up. Um, but that's clearly not as sophisticated as having a vector of superimposed inflation and tracking through what their overall effect is on a total pricing basis. It should be a relatively straightforward generalization or extension of the, um, approach that we've made to measure um, the segmented claims in uh, whatever way you want to ca- characterise the claims themselves, but then also the duration from accident to settlement. So we, we could attempt to, to incorporate that. Um, your first question was around GLMs and the, the structure that's imposed by the modeler on that versus the scoring that we've applied and the structure imposed on the modeler with respect to that and which is best. I don't think there's a best. Um, but with this particular superimposed inflation study that we've undertaken, um, because the, as you rightly pointed out, the, the, the matrix of um, parameters or the matrix of variables and, and parameters within those variables is n-dimensional. It's massive. We've only captured a small number of them. We're limited by the data available to us. Um, I would suggest it's probably easier for the user to understand what's going on using a scoring and pairing approach than to try and fit a GLM, um, whether it be with continuous or, or categorical variables, in that massive n-dimensional way um, to be able to understand the drivers. So I think that the advantage that we've got is that you can probably tear it apart a bit easier understanding the drivers. A bit more response. One more question. <laughs> Hi, Adam Badness, Swiss Re. Uh, thank you for your presentation, and it uh, looks like a mammoth effort went into that, so thanks for that. Um, just one quick question. Uh, was... Do you know what, what sort of variation there was in the inflation figures for similar, what, for one particular class of injury? So we can get an, maybe an idea of what was driving it, whether it's a systemic issue or it's particular to a particular uh, claim? Um, so there's a question about the variation. If you had a like with, if you had a bunch of like with like claims, what's the variation in, in the superimposed measure? It was wide. 
I don't know the exact answers, but the variance is big. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for a great presentation. Would you please join me in thanking Aaron and Karen? <laughs>